Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. This podcast may be disturbing to some because I'm going to talk about just how terrifying the dark side of humanity is and what it is capable of. It is a truth which must be understood in order to fully study self-defense, and it's a pretty disgusting truth. I'm going to examine it rationally, but in doing so, I will be describing some things which some may find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. Many years ago, I talked with an experienced instructor about his advice for teaching self-defense classes. I had set up a liaison with a local high school physical ed coach to help with the self-defense class for his students. The advice I got was that every audience was different, sometimes vastly different. What you show could be well-received, it could be looked at as a joke, or absolutely horrify those you are teaching. The reason is that violence takes on many forms and levels of intensity. The level of violence someone from a wealthy suburb will experience is a world of difference from someone in a slum or a ghetto. I took this advice to heart and tuned the material I showed to be something which would challenge the students but not frighten them. The high school I was going to was in a peaceful suburb. My goal was to build confidence, not make them so terrified that they would never want to train self-defense again in the future. It seems to me that a vast majority of Aikido practitioners come from a pretty soft and privileged world. There are exceptions, of course. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I applaud them for taking up a martial art. They have done what few have, which is to pursue learning a martial art and take a tangible step into the physical culture. This is good for the body and the mind. I've also found Aikido appeals to intelligent, thoughtful, and moral people. It tends to repel people who merely want to learn to hurt others, cause pain, or win fights. Only psychotics or savages desire to hurt other people, and usually do so to those who are weak and easily dominated. The fact that there are people out there like this is a haunting reality. The worst lie we can tell our children is that monsters don't exist. They do, and they look like human beings. I'm not implying that they are different species, but that some humans can act like monsters without empathy or conscience. If you're going to handle someone safely, you must understand their nature. Can you negotiate with a rattlesnake? In order for you to stay safe, you must understand the snake's nature and behavior. You must know when to avoid him, and if you do handle him, how to do it properly without getting hurt. It's not about hating the snake or wanting to destroy it, but you cannot let it bite you either. Extreme caution must be taken, but at the very heart of the matter is understanding exactly what you're dealing with, and if you aren't sure, acting with caution. Your life is on the line. This is not a thorough analogy to a human who is exhibiting savage or predatory behavior, but I think it conveys the fundamental principle. Note that I separate savage behavior from predatory behavior. They can feel the same from a victim's standpoint, but they are quite different. The reason they feel the same is that after the attack, the victim usually feels like the encounter was random. To a predator, the encounter was planned ahead of time to some degree. The predator made a conscious choice to approach the victim and ascertain whether to follow through with the attack or call it off. This constituted a series of decisions which could be made minutes, hours, or days ahead of time. The encounter was not random at all. The savage behavior, on the other hand, is to a great degree random, where the decision made to attack is made minutes or even seconds and is largely made out of opportunity. Neither is less terrifying from a victim's standpoint, but we must understand them and how they are different. First, let me address savagery. A good way to describe this and the mindset of pure savagery that a martial artist would relate to is the Piper knife system. Some of you may have heard it, but for those who haven't, the Piper system originates in South Africa. The founder of the Piper system discovered that in the prisons of South Africa, 
had by far the highest mortality rate of knife attacks by a significant factor. This was even in comparison to the Hispanic prison system in the United States, which is rather famous for their use of knives. Anyway, this man decided to research just what made knives so deadly in this environment. He approached his study in a diligent manner in order to understand the techniques and approaches used. He searched to find the secret sauce of what made it so effective. What he discovered was that it was a very straightforward approach with little sophistication. There were a few basic movements, but they were not very technical. I won't go deep into the technical details of the Piper knife system, but to describe it in very brief terms, it involves hiding the knife in a reverse grip, which some call an ice pick grip, and suddenly pouncing on your victim in a surprise attack which is extremely athletic and relentless. The part which is most telling was how these exchanges tended to happen. They also lacked sophistication or complexity. Imagine you are wearing a brand new pair of Air Jordans, and I walk up to you and say, those are nice shoes. Give me your shoes. Right now. And if you don't take off the shoes immediately and give them to me, I pounce on you like a lion, stabbing and gouging at you with my knife until you are dead. Then, I take your shoes. Negotiation is really not an option. It's either you give me your shoes within seconds or you get savagely ripped apart in seconds. This is the culture in the South African prison system and to a great extent sub-Saharan Africa. The art of knife fighting there, if you could even call it that, reflects that culture. I found that such savagery deserves respect but not admiration. To realize there are people who think on this savage level and have no hesitation to act with such ruthless brutality is a wake-up call. Such savagery is all over the world, although to differing degrees based on location. No area is completely devoid of savage human beings. You may have never met or seen anyone like this, or any who acted in such a way. One hopes to never encounter one, but what if you did? Isn't that the reason for self-defense training in the first place? About a year or so ago, I met a Sistema instructor who used to teach Aikido. He got out of Aikido because he felt it was overwhelmed with people who didn't take the martial aspect of it seriously and that the politics were getting in the way of quality training. He told me the story of when he was teaching a women's self-defense class, and he was showing a lot of the typical basic stuff one would expect to see taught to people who are new to martial arts. As I stated earlier, you show what will generate interest, not what will terrify new people who want to try out a self-defense class for the first time. When the class started coming to a close, he asked if anyone had any questions. One woman raised her hand and stated, what you have just shown us is BS. Everyone was shocked, including the instructor who felt that he showed some pretty decent and practical material. What she said next was the really horrifying part. She explained that she went to view an apartment that she was thinking of renting. As she was touring it with the landlord, she walked into a walk-in bedroom closet to look around, and the man attacked her and knocked her unconscious. She woke up naked and tied to a chair where she remained for three days. He would return periodically and rape her. She failed to see how anything that was shown in the class would have helped save her from that terrible ordeal that she encountered. The instructor was shocked, and I would have been as well. This woman experienced the highest level of violence, and she wanted an answer for it, which is totally understandable. The attack she suffered was sudden and it would not have helped if she were carrying a gun, pepper spray, or stun gun. Her attack was so sudden that she had no more than an instant to respond. I bring this up only as a reminder that there are people who are savage and lack conscience. They are psychotic and will not hesitate when they see an opportunity to take what they want. This is reality. The good news is that it is not common, but it does exist. We might not want to look directly at it and wish it didn't exist, but it does. People are attacked, abducted, beaten, and raped every day. 
even in peaceful first world countries where we enjoy a serene life. The second type of behavior is predatory behavior. The difference being that predators tend to carefully plan their attacks, whereas pure savagery is often spontaneous. A predator is usually on the hunt for something specific, typically money or property, but sometimes more. A good example of a predator you are likely to encounter is a mugger. He might be hanging out near an out-of-the-way ATM because he knows people withdraw cash from it. One of the most eye-opening experiences I ever had was in New Orleans a few years prior to Hurricane Katrina. A group of friends and I were out in the French Quarter enjoying the nightlife as people often do. We started out with dinner, then walked through the quarter and getting a drink here and there, watching the people, enjoying the sights, checking out the street entertainers, all the typical things tourists who visit the quarter do. There were plenty of interesting sights and sounds to take in. After the evening, we ended up at the far end of the quarter, just beyond where it turned from bars and restaurants into housing. We found a little bar which was playing music and were there for a while. It was kind of late and I felt like heading back to the hotel, so I told my friends I'd see them in the morning. It was maybe a mile walk back to the hotel, and I started off at almost 1 o'clock in the morning. The first few blocks were dark and quiet. The streets were completely empty. And I got to thinking, what would the quarter look like through the eyes of a predator? So I started studying the rows of houses, looking for the dark corners and alleys, places where I could easily wait for someone unsuspecting to walk by. As I walked, I looked into the many alleys and side corners in the quarter, and I realized it would be extremely easy to grab somebody and take them out of sight in an instant. As I came up on the end of the Bourbon Street strip, the street became more lit up. This time I walked through, though, I would be watching for entirely different things than I did before. I was studying for who would make good targets, easy marks with money, if I were a thief or a mugger. I would watch for people who were drunk, distracted, or confused. The people who stood out were obviously those who were alcohol impaired, but my eyes were also drawn to people in shoes they could not clearly run in, had expensive jewelry, accessories, or appeared to have money. I noticed a few people with athletic builds who were clearly strong and fit, but most who were thin and appeared easy to overpower with very little effort. Now that I was looking at people, I would ask myself questions that police often do. What is this person doing here? For most people, the answer was really clear. Those people are drinking and having a good time. Those people over there are looking for their hotel. Those people are waiting for a table at a restaurant. That guy's a chef who just stepped out on break to have a smoke. These were all pretty obvious answers to why a certain person or a group of people were there. Then a really interesting thing happened. As I looked around, I noticed people who it was not obvious why they were there. They were looking around just like I was. Why were they on the street at almost 2 o'clock in the morning studying the people? I don't know, but if our gazes met, we would both look calmly at one another and then continue looking around. It felt to me like I spotted another predator. I had heard that the quarter had a lot of pickpockets and hustlers. Maybe they were eyeing up who they would approach, and to this day, I don't know for certain. What I do know is that a herd of sheep will attract wolves. When I finally made it back to my hotel, I had a whole new level of appreciation for the concrete jungle. I had just caught a glimpse of a type of wildlife I had never realized was around me before. A couple of years later, my wife and I were in downtown Minneapolis and not far from a rather questionable part of town. Yes, Minneapolis has some crime-ridden parts of downtown. It's not like a ghetto or south side of Chicago, but there are some seedy people and predators there. We took some extra time and I had her do the same thing I did in New Orleans, which was to start identifying who she thinks would be an easy target or lucrative targets and what exactly would indicate that. It didn't take more than a five minutes before she picked out several. The experience was as enlightening for her as the New Orleans experience was for me. 
As I was putting this podcast together, a news piece came out describing a significant increase in crime in downtown Minneapolis. The victims were all targeted for their cell phones, and the attackers called their approach finessing. They would approach a target who was alone, usually distracted or appeared to be intoxicated, who had a smartphone. A group would approach and ask for a cigarette or engage in some innocuous dialogue to confuse the victim and then attack them in some way. The story went on to describe three different incidents and had surveillance videos for each one. The attacks also included beatings, not just the theft of the phones. In one of the videos, a pedestrian was attempting to walk past a group of young people who then stepped into his way and surrounded him. It was clear in each video that none of the victims were aware they were in potential danger and likely assumed that they would be safe. They weren't. There is a link to the story in the description of this podcast, which includes videos of the incidents. These serve as clear examples of predatory behavior. Hopefully what I'm describing gives you a whole new appreciation for your situation awareness skills and what image you present of yourself to the world. If you are distracted, look weak, look vulnerable, and appear to have money, you're going to attract the attention of predators. I would add looking frightened to that list, but at least frightened people tend to be on the lookout for trouble. If you believe you are safe because you're in a populated area, you may allow a threat very close to you without realizing that they are a threat. A predator far prefers someone he can approach unseen. Cell phones are God's gift to human predators. They make it far easier for a predator to approach you undetected, and an attacker can be on you before you know what happened. Cell phones, especially the more expensive smartphones, are also tempting bait for theft. Again, the purpose of this podcast is to help you understand that there's a reason to be aware. The choice of solutions is yours, but I strongly advocate you look into a solution that you're comfortable with. The easiest thing in the world is to have a false sense of security. You might see a cop car drive by once in a while, clean and tidy streets and sidewalks, and people going on about their business and think that you're perfectly safe and secure. For the most part, you will be. But are you ready for when a threat appears? Threats are real. The dark side of human behavior is ever-present. The idea that you will be safe because you are kind, polite, and peaceful is false. In fact, predators count on it. They want victims who are completely unprepared to resist them. The last thing they want is someone who will give them trouble, make a lot of noise, or fight back. A predator doesn't want to get hurt. He wants what he wants and then to get out of there quickly. There is a dark side to humanity. It is ugly, but you better understand that it exists and you might encounter it. Does your training adequately prepare you for it? If it doesn't, it's up to you to address it. My advice is to avoid the trap of thinking that negotiating alone will work. It might. It might not. It may very well be wiser to hand over your wallet to a mugger, but are you as willing to give in to a rapist? What happens when you give them what they demand and then they decide they want more? Philosophers have discussed for thousands of years whether mankind is inherently good or inherently evil. Decent arguments supporting both perspectives have been made. In the end, I think if mankind were inherently evil, we would be overwhelmed with brutality and crime merely because there aren't enough police and law enforcement to stop it. The threat of being caught really doesn't stop even a mildly determined criminal, to say nothing of the more committed ones. The threat of being caught and punished really only works with people who are not inclined to violate others in the first place. I believe a vast majority of people are peaceful and well-meaning, but that doesn't mean that every single person you meet will be peaceful. Like the rattlesnake, will you recognize them for what they are and change your behavior accordingly to protect yourself? It doesn't require being vicious or ruthless, but it does mean staying calm and making smart choices. 
It also means doing your best to avoid violence and having an appropriate level of response if avoidance doesn't work. These are uncomfortable things to think about, but your survival may hinge on whether you prepare adequately for such situations. What are other topics you're interested in hearing covered in this podcast? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment. You can also support this podcast by donating either through a monthly sponsorship or a single donation of any amount you like. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.